Welcome to LA Podcast. Scott Frazier is here. <laughs> Hayes is also here. I mean, Scott Frazier. Well, yeah, Scott Frazier is in LA. I am not. It was too easy recording um, in different conference rooms and offices around LA. Right. Uh, so I am recording this episode from an Italian bathroom. Right. One of your podcast hosts is dedicated to being in LA. Well, this is the the rule is that one of us has to stay in LA at all times in case uh, like the in, uh, case, in case in case we're needed. Uh, one of us has to be the steward of LA at any given right. time. Designated survivor sort of situation. But for this one, I'm in a, a bathroom in Italy. Here, do you know what this sound is? Is that what, your? Is that what your was bidet? it? That's my bidet. <laughs> I haven't used it. I just you know look at it and just sort and of wonder. wonder. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have a little housekeeping we want to take care of up top. We have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about on this episode, I think. Uh, but first, some other equally interesting things. First of all, we have to apologize to prospective LAPD chief Michael Moore. Right. Hayes made for, a great crack about him not wanting to be called Michael Moore. I know. Uh, another wasted crack. <laughs> Uh, I, I thought his name is spelled M I C H E L. Right. I thought maybe it was Michelle, which I'm sure is how it is supposed to be pronounced. So this is all him trying to shed his Basque heritage. Also, he changed his last name. His, his, his last name is like Santa Vedra or something. Right. And, and he, he went, went with by more. Right. Because th- I, that was in a time when I'm sure he was worried about being persecuted for right, discriminated having, against for his Hispanic sounding name for his Hispanic last name and now I wonder if he's regretting that a little bit because I that might get him some bonus points it is I interesting because uh you know we also had the news this recent week that there are essentially politicians and sort of civic activists lining up behind some of the candidates we have um sitting city council member Gil Cedillo and a number of former um, Hispanic council members uh, throwing in their weight behind Arcos, Robert Arcos. Yeah. And then you have a couple of um, politicians and um, civic groups in South LA throwing their weight behind Bill Scott, who is the African-American police chief from San Francisco. So Ar- or, uh, Michael Moore is actually missing out on the sort of so sweepstakes. I wonder, if, I wonder if Michael Moore is thinking, if I had kept that Basque name, right, I could have at least confused the issue yes, <laughs> to, my, to my benefit. So I apologize for calling him Michelle. Um, we also owe an apology to Christina Garcia, the... Yes the the sacramento squeezer <laughs> that name that i just made up has to be retired right from this point point forward it can no longer be used because she was absolved yeah uh so the independent investigation it it's i think i think the first time that the independent investigation process actually went forward following it's had a chance to work yeah that's right because everyone else just resigned 
Yep. So, so following in the fall, uh, Christina Garcia and Laura Friedman's push to have sexual harassment reform in the Sacramento legislature, including independent investigations into these claims, uh, she then became the subject of the very first, I believe, independent investigation into sexual harassment in the legislature. And they found her, uh, well, I guess they what they said was, they couldn't substantiate some of the more serious claims about her conduct. So, so uh, she was, and she, as you said, she was initially the the person who headed up these investigations, maybe even designed the system that the investigation is based on. It's sort right. of a blacklist situation. She's something of a R- Red Reddington played by James Spader, the only person who can break the system is the person who who, who, un- <laughs> who understands it better than anybody. Yeah, she does have that sort of um, savvy vibe that <laughs> James Spader yes. <laughs> embodies in, in Blacklist. Um, but but what, what else, else happened was that uh, Anthony Rendon, Speaker of the Assembly, uh, said that she was culpable uh, as far as basically having... Poor ju- shown a record of poor judgment while she was in her position, uh, including the repeated use of uh, what did he say? Vulgar language. He said he said vulgar language, which I mean, I guess she did say fucking shit a lot, right? It's, but it's also like I, I mean, you could also some of the things she said are you could say is hate speech. Yes. <laughs> Vulgar Which, language is uh, sort of a soft term for it. Right. And, and and I feel like that is also fairly easy to substantiate, given that she did an interview in which she confirmed that she does use those words and may yeah, have directed at least them. at least some of them. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, but now there is a precedent where any time if <laughs> if any assembly member says fuck or shit they now have to get kicked off all of their committees. Right. That is what happened. She was stripped of her membership of every committee that she was in, which means that she is now essentially a member of the assembly who uh, she is going to resume her work uh, as a legislator, but she's now basically just showing up to floor votes. Yeah. But Anthony Rendon gets everything he wanted out of it, assuming Christina Garcia stays in office, which is she is part of his uh, voting block. He doesn't right. potentially lose like a valuable ally. She's not as powerful as she was before, but she's still on the team, right? I, I would imagine so, yes. And Christina Garcia, for her part, um, she actually preempted the um, the finding by the, legis- uh, the assembly investigator that she had been cleared of the more serious sexual harassment charges with a press release saying exonerate. she was exonerated of... The charges against her. She so, announced that before they did? I believe so. I think that it was like the night before it was set to uh, be disclosed wow. publicly. It, she, she released that would be an cool. email saying she was exonerated. If that were a gamble, if she right. didn't really know at the time she released the email, she just thought like, maybe this is just a little extra pressure on them if I say I have been exonerated before it comes out this is what yeah. i'm saying this savvy red reddington style <laughs> behavior that she's become known for yeah in a back room somewhere they're like "Ooh, she already said she's exonerated what do we do now <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh 
we have news about Wound Frazier, um, right. who was uh, killed riding his bike in in South LA a couple weeks ago. We talked to his friend uh, Kevin uh, Munoz for the podcast. Um, the person who was driving the car that killed him uh, was uh, turned themselves in. Yeah, turned herself so in. This was reported by Sarah Suleiman at uh, Streets Blog LA. Um, who has been closely following this story. Um, we didn't credit her in the last episode where we talked about this, and that was a mistake because she has really done an incredible job uh, covering this story and all stories um, related to all other kinds of stuff on Streets Blog. Anyway, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so basically, I guess via social media, it was um, sort of determined, uh, I guess, which is to say, Woon Frazier's mother had actually made a post on social media that um, the person who hit her son, Mariah Banks, a South LA resident, had turned herself into the police, as you said. Um, And there was a bit more information on that, essentially saying that uh, family and friends of um, the alleged hit-and-run perpetrator, uh, Mariah Banks, had been urging her to turn herself in. Um, The passengers in the vehicle with her at the time of the collision had been essentially telling her allegedly not to stop the car at the point that um, it was evident that wound was not okay Um, and then essentially they drove switched drivers then got to a different car Um, so yeah that essentially is the chain of events that unfolded immediately after frederick frazier after wound was killed uh, and look, I mean, you hate to see anybody's life get ruined by something that they did, but it's this kind of like enforcement that you need to stop these things from happening in the future. It's why we send murderers to jail. It's so other people don't murder. Yeah. And I think, I mean, basically, I think that we also should give a shout out again to Kevin Munoz and to um, everyone in the cycling community there who has been... Um, working really hard to make sure that justice is delivered for Woon. And um, hopefully this can bring some kind of healing to um, to Beverly Owens, Woon's mother, and uh, the community down there. Yeah, they were uh, all those guys were really loud about it. And I think it's because of that that uh, this person felt compelled to turn herself in at all because uh, I think the LAPD were much more focused on it than they otherwise would have been if the the community hadn't been um, really, really vocal about it. Completely Uh, agree. That's all our housekeeping, I think. We want to talk about a venerable institution in Los Angeles. Uh, Proud alma mater to O.J. Simpson, right? Uh, Dana Rohrabacher, uh, Brian Singer. Who uh, else you got? J- uh, Joe Francis went there. <laughs> uh, just a lot of real like luminaries uh, in, in, in our culture right. came out of this institution. Uh, it's a it's a top. 50 education uh for a um for a top one price (laughs) uh usc is under fire let's again again 
But this one really stands out in its horror. Yeah. And just how abjectly gross and awful it is. Uh, since the 90s, the in-house gynecologist for the Student Health Center um, had apparently been... The, like one of the big accusations is sexual harassment that was that was made against him. I sort of feel like if you are sexually harassing someone while you are administering a gynecological exam, now now you are raping them. Yes, uh, this seems very clearly to. I mean, when you're reading the L.A. Times investigation, which is incredible, um, people should definitely look into the reporting that was done here. Uh, it is horrific, but it's also, um, as far as investigative journalism goes really well done and the allegations definitely reach far into the territory that you would consider rape and sexual molestation yeah but this is another example that the 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 terms i've used the, the, not the terms i've used the terms i've seen around tend to be more of the like misconduct harassment things like that um we still seem to be very hesitant about using the word rape but i mean that seems to be pretty clearly what happened in in a lot of these cases so we don't have to lay out everything that, that everything this guy was accused of. Some of the stuff is like extremely gross. I do want to point out just one thing, which is that in denying the accusations, he said that a lot of the um, a lot of the nurses who were accusing him of misconduct were jealous of his patients because their the nurses' vaginal muscles were less tight than his patients, and they were less capable of orgasm. So I think that yeah. kind of statement in denying yeah. wrongdoing kind of shows you the kind of thing he must have been saying while USC was investigating this. And it, it, it makes you wonder how that... It doesn't seem like you can get through one conversation with this guy without him saying something just extremely yeah, lewd, inappropriate, and disturbing on so many levels. And yeah, the, the article is full of, of his sort of responses to these claims. He at one point says that he feels like he is being set up by clinic staff without really elaborating on who or why any group of people that work at USC would um, be essentially trying to set him up based on his conduct stretching back almost 30 yeah. years. And his theories point, about, you know, vaginal jealousy are not super compelling. No. And uh, furthermore, he the after the LA Times article dropped, then there were actually a uh, sort of the floodgates opening of former patients of his coming out and saying, "Yeah, I was treated by him and uh he made a very dis- like disturbing comment about my body or touched me in an inappropriate way." Um, you know, that, so obviously we've I yeah. think just begun to scratch the surface of these allegations. Yeah, it, uh, now the Chinese government is getting involved. Uh, this is George Tyndall is the name of the gynecologist. He uh, seemed to prey on uh, foreign students, especially uh, Asian students, who were often getting their first gyne- gynecological exam. He would kind of exploit the la- their lack of awareness of what was normal in the situation, it sounds like. The Chinese consulate is very upset they you know put out statements saying that um usc has to explain how this went on for so long uh and usc is very dependent on the tuition paid by um students coming in from other countries uh so this is like a 
very bad thing for USC. Absolutely. And it's not the first thing that's happened uh, even in the past year with them. Uh, in late 2017, the dean of USC Medical School, uh, Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, uh, was fired after first uh, being swept under the rug for a while for uh, using heroin and meth and crack, uh, right. often with... Uh, his girlfriend was working as a sex worker and he would have parties for her and I guess her, um, I don't know, her friend who was dealing both of them drugs. Yeah. Uh, and so initially, I think USC just kind of quietly let him go. I believe at first they were essentially just waiting for the investigation to play out. Then they kind of asked him to... So just step down, yeah, as quickly and quietly as possible. Yeah, so at first it was basically the same thing that happened in the George Tyndall case, this gynecologist. At first they did basically nothing about it, didn't want to make it public at all, until I think the day before, in both cases, the Times report came out. Uh, Then they sent out an email to the, the whole student body saying, hey... This is something that's been going on. We just want to get out ahead of this and let you know we're taking care of it. Uh, but they don't do anything until uh, until the Times comes through with the story. And we should point out the uh, on both bylines for the um, uh, Carmen Pugliafito story and the George Tindall story are Matt, Ham- Matt Hamilton, Harriet Ryan, and Paul Pringle. Um, and Sarah Parvini is on the, uh, is on the George Tindall story. It, oh, and so this is in addition to... The medical school dean that they hired to replace Carmen Pugliafito, uh, it also turned out had been accused of sexual harassment uh, years earlier. So he right. ha- he lasted like a day, basically. There was also a case in the uh, in the school of uh, social work with a tenured professor named Eric Guerrero, um, who was uh, accused of bringing a woman up, a grad student, up to his hotel room. And kind of pushing her onto his bed and, you know, then when she escaped, telling her not to tell anyone or he would destroy her career. That was another situation where a lot of people felt like he kind of got a slap on the wrist. He was not fired. I think he basically was put on sabbatical. I guess my question is, what is it about USC specifically that this keeps coming up over and over again, that they seem to have not really learned much from the Carmen Pulifito story uh, in not publicizing it until they absolutely have to. I I actually, um, I I think this is a really interesting case, uh, sort of case study in institutional accountability at this point. Um, As you mentioned, uh, USC is extremely, I don't know if they're necessarily reliant on the tuition that they receive from international students, but it's a lot of money that they get uh, from being the single uh, the the university in America with the single highest matriculation rate of international students. Um, oh so, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, they, uh, so they they are extremely um, sort of beholden to this international community that is sending a lot of wealthy um, the children of wealthy individuals here um, their ability to project um, an atmosphere of safety for those students. Um, and also the fact that part of their rise in the academic standings over the past um, couple 
maybe 10, 15 years has been precipitated by what you were talking about earlier, um, their medical program. So we have kind of this intersection of the two things that maybe more than anything are what they want to represent their um, reputation on the national and international stage. And um, so there's a massive PR pressure in making it seem like those things are stable, even if they're not. And, and it seems like it's led to just a huge lack of accountability and an unwillingness on the part of the leadership at USC to actually deal with these issues in a transparent matter, uh, manner, rather. So, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. it feels like the thing that makes you the safest in your job at USC is doing something so grotesque that uh, no one wants to talk about it. <laughs> that it's, it's better for, you know, they would prefer just to let you keep doing that thing, right. uh, you know, just quietly in a way that nobody finds out about it. I mean, like if they really honestly were smart about um, like putting out a reputation of safety for students they would fire these people at the at the earliest opportunity but instead of yeah so instead of that happening instead what we get is uh president nikias at usc saying that um he apologizes to any student who a quote did not receive the respectful care each individual deserves and but while at the same time the school is saying um, he was not aware of this uh, these charges and accusations until after Tyndall had already been let go last year. So oh yeah, I mean I guess I could believe that it never got up to the school president. But they did pay him to go away, so it's kind of like that's right. They paid him a settlement because they were worried he he was he was threatening an age discrimination lawsuit. I think, right? Um, but really, I mean, they weren't worried about that. They were worried about the story getting out. They would have given him whatever it took to just be quiet, right? Uh, so I mean, God, good for the. LA Times, it's like hard to, and like if they hadn't come out with this story, he could still be practicing. So the like the, the right. terms of his being fired was that he would not get his medical license taken away. It's probably the grossest thing about this is that USC, everyone at USC who involved in this case knew what he did and were going to let him go do it somewhere else instead of making it so that he, you know, he would lose his license. Really, really horrifying and that this is something that should have huge repercussions for them. Yeah, I would I would hope so too. So I, I, I agree. I mean, the fact that you have USC essentially privileging um, its, its prestige over actually protecting not just USC students, but anybody else who might have been subjected to being a patient of this individual, uh, George Tyndall, going forward, um, is, is really not reflecting well on the university. Look at Michigan State. Look at what Michigan yeah. State did. Everyone at Michigan State got fired. The yeah. entire school was wiped out. Every, every, everyone in that administration was gone. Is this... How much different is this? I think it's incredibly sim- similar, actually. Yeah. Um, I think that at least for right now, the profile is different um, on a national stage. But I, I don't actually think that the facts of what we know about what happened no. are substantially different at this point. And more stuff keeps so. coming out. I mean, I, I think, as you were saying, we're going to keep hearing more things. 
Um, yeah. So anyway, USC is a rotten institution. We want to talk about a race, a congressional race that barely overlaps with LA. This is the the 39th district in California. Um, is mostly Orange County. It's Ed Royce's old. We seat. are taking. We are just going to grab onto that little bit in LA, Hacienda Heights, and Roland uh, Heights. But they, those and people Diamond Hacienda Bar, Heights and, and we Roland are just Heights going to grab Bar, that for They need work. to be represented. Where we haven't yes. forgotten about you, but really, we just want to talk about this because <laughs> it is so dumb. Uh, this race happening. So Ed Royce was like a like what. 15 time congressman or something he was there forever and he stepped He's, down he is in his 26th year in congress oh my god uh but he's yep. not running again uh and this was a district that hillary clinton won by nine points i think uh and yep. hillary hillary clinton won by nine points and royce won by 10 points but he didn't face serious opposition this is not uh, a district that Democrats were contesting really in 2016, but it became clear. Obviously, it became clear to Royce himself that he was going to face an uphill battle going forward. Yeah, so he bailed. He just decided to get out of there. And you would think in such a great climate for Democrats, you would get great candidates. Uh, but this is who we have. These are the front runners. Uh, number one is Gil Cisneros. Uh, who, whose main qualification, honestly, seems to be that he won the lottery in 2010. Like he actually, he won the Mega Millions. He won 260 million dollars, uh, and has right. plugged a lot of that into um, into Democrat campaigns since then. He used to be a Republican until uh, 2008, I think. He was a registered Republican um, before. He won the lottery. He was a Frito-Lay distribution manager, um, a, a, a okay. chip shipper. He chipped shipped chips. His his campaign ad should be that he never broke a single chip. Oh, that you know that's a compelling case to make. And he'll and he'll he put the take air that in the same bags. care with your children. Yeah, he yeah he personally made yes. sure that there was enough air in every bag. Um, <laughs> he. Uh, has obviously been putting a lot of money in his own campaign. I don't think he even really lived. He lives in Dana Rohrabacher's district, but he's running in 39. He lives in Orange County, but oh, he that's does not live in this district. He wanted to run against Dana Rohrabacher, but the uh, national DCCC had a, a different plan for that district, apparently. And so they said, go run in Ed Royce's district. He is well, running also, a, yeah. Also, they do, uh, as far as the National Democratic Caucus is, is concerned, they consider this district to be extremely competitive, and Cisneros is, is their guy, I guess. So more so than yeah. Rohrabacher, uh, they think this one is really winnable. They Yeah, they labeled him one of their like red-to-blue candidates, I think is what they call it, which is also what his political affiliation is. Uh, <laughs> he... he uh, He's running a get the other front runner uh, is a guy named Andy Thorburn, uh, who is a 73 year old former in uh, health insurance executive uh, who announced that he was running at the same time as he announced he put 
two million dollars of his own money into his campaign um because he is also a very rich uh, orange county guy he was not a democrat until a month ago okay <laughs> <laughs> so these are your guys these are the front runners these are the guys um, this is orange county basically yeah but i i mean it's like i think they don't want someone who is like a lifelong democrat in orange county what what at least the dccc thinks will win right is someone who is just like a, a straight down the middle they want a guy. surefire they want a surefire victory here which is actually where we run into the the bulk of our problems in this district <laughs> yes <laughs> and they're running again the 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 um woman on the republic the, on the republican side is a good candidate she's an assembly woman in the district uh, her name is young kim she is not gonna be an easy defeat and i think it's in response to that that gil cesaros and eddie thorberg have done what they decided to do this past week uh which was a historic uh they had a historic summit gil cesaros and andy thorburn and they promised not to do any attack ads at each other anymore anymore because they have been just mudslinging at a remarkable level down there um so we have uh cisneros essentially making the accusation that thorborn thorborn has been running his insurance company um through tax havens uh, overseas and evading paying his taxes for most of his adult life yeah and then, uh, on the other hand, Thorburn, Thorburn, I can't say this name, Thorburn, Thorburn is, is actually saying that uh, Cisneros is uh, using essentially DCCC oppo research to just trash him and is calling him and telling him that he's going to run negative ads on him and everything. So they've been yeah. going b- back and forth. Because, yeah, well, that, the, the, the negative ads call thing is my favorite because his wife, Andy Thorburn's wife, got a voicemail uh, that I'll play that, that is supposedly from Gil Cisneros, and it goes like this. Received on Wednesday at 5.05 p.m. Hi, Andy. It's Gil Cisneros. I'm going to go negative on you. To repeat, press 4. Uh, so, so this ad, I'm going to so go this negative voicemail, on you. I'm going to go negative on you. Which and is then such like a great way to say of, that. Five seconds of silence before, <laughs> before the voicemail ends is pretty threatening. Um, <laughs> but it's not that it's not the most like incriminating. You can say much worse things on a voicemail it's, to your political opponent. It's almost polite. It's almost nice to let him know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go negative. It's almost like those five seconds are him wondering, you know, like, why did why did I make this call? Can I, is it too late to delete this voicemail? <laughs> yeah, it's it's strategically not very smart. You should, you want to surprise him. Uh, but they released that voicemail, uh, the Thorburn campaign. Gil Cisnero says that it's not him. And actually had and I guess, voice analysis yeah. done to prove that it, it held up him. to some voice analysis to where the intercept at some point the intercept published this uh the intercept had to kind of like walk back some of their certainty 
that it was him anyway. Uh, it's so stupid. Just the dumbest campaign shit. So the reason why this is important is, as we've discussed in uh, in our first episode, our special ele- elections episode, California has a top two primary system. So uh, the leading vote getters, regardless of party affiliation, are going to be the ones that go on to the general uh, ballot. So you have... A, a wide open race here with no incumbent. The Republican incumbent is retiring. Uh, Democrats feel very good about their ability to win this seat, but they have this now very, very nasty race between two Democrats who uh, are potentially going to make it hard for either one of them to get into the top two uh, votes, uh, vote getters. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what the Democratic National Party is worried about, that they're going to end up actually knocking each other out of the top two spots, and then this easy win is going to turn into a loss. And so I'm guessing they got threatened. Right. <laughs> uh, wh- I-, I think the he- the head of the California Dems or somebody came in and said, hey, there are other candidates in this race that are like pretty tight with them. It's not, it, you know, there no one has really pulled ahead. They could have said like, hey, we're going to pick, um, I, I think Sam Jamal is the name of someone else who's, right. who's running in that race who people seem to like. We're just going to go with him. Uh, and you know, both you can spend your own, keep spending your own money from now on. And so then you get this picture of the two of them shaking hands, uh, right? Camera like, <laughs> together. I mean, that that picture looks like it's the result of a of a threat. Um, the other thing I like about this race is Andy Thorburn was he's like technically the Bernie endorsed uh, candidate in this race. Oh, I didn't know that he was in. He was endorsed. They talk about this in the Intercept story. He was endorsed by. Uh, our Revolution OC, which you're like, huh? <laughs> Our Revolution Orange County. <laughs> yeah, it's like, is there was there like a big like progressive movement coming out of our Orange County? When did when did this organization form? <laughs> and the answer is the day that it endorsed Andy Thorpe. You're kidding. So, uh, and then, of course, the National Art Revolution endorsed Andy Thorburn because all they really... See, this is the thing that Bernie uh, is running into now, I feel like. He, it, they, he, you know, he trusts the local branch of our revolution. Right. So, whoever they pick, he goes with them. Uh, and so, you know, Andy Thorburn, I like maybe his progressive bona fides are, are great. He was an insurance executive, so... Uh, and he is very rich, so I don't know exactly how great they can be. But apparently, he was arrested um, in a protest for uh, in the seventies for um, I think teachers uh, who wanted higher wages. Okay, so that's something. Uh, but I just like that you can be like, "Hi, I'm our revolution OC," uh, or just like pick your neighborhood and you can be our revolution for that neighborhood, and <laughs> and you'll <laughs> get the Bernie vote. <laughs> That so that's just what's going on at that race. That we is some classic about. Uh, North Orange County. I'm I mean I'm glad I'm glad that we're talking about this one. Maybe you can drop a little. Uh, is that Phantom Planet? Uh, oh, that's good. That would be good to play us out. Thank you for listening to LA Podcast. I really hope this one uh, turned out and that it sounds great. We are taking a real risk here with Hayes being really unable are. to hear my audio because I always talk so quietly. In this in this moment, it's really unclear whether we have it at all, but if we did, if we did do one, 
Thank you for listening to it. I'll let the I'll let the bidet uh, take us out. California, here we come, right back where we started.